And then after the Ironman, I was on such a high. And then I think, oh, the emotional stuff really started to come. Like, I mean, it was always there. But I think, you know, I finally got there. I finished it in one piece. Um, but it was then I think things really started to surface. Because it's very much a, a, a grief process that you need to go through. And I don't think you're really given that opportunity because people look at you and go, well, look at you, you're fine, like, you're better. You know, you're fitter than everyone else. Like, what, what is, what's your problem? It, it's nothing to do with that. It's everything that come about as a result and you know there's so many phases and I think you know I, I don't think I'd hit the anger phase at that point yeah <laughs> and I really needed to hit the anger phase before I could move on welcome to the RMA podcast host Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Aramaic Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Today I have a very special guest for you on this podcast, Angela McKenzie. Angela is a running mum from Queensland, northern Queensland in fact, and she is a triathlete. Angela came to the world of triathlon as a young child when her family introduced her into the sport and she's been participating ever since. Angela posted in our RMA Facebook network only a few weeks ago a little snippet of her story and I was really inspired to get her on the podcast to share her journey. Back in 2018, while Angela was training for her Ironman, she was tragically hit by a vehicle while riding her bike on her local country road. This left her with devastating injuries which saw Angela on a journey to rehabilitation over the last three years to be able to compete in her next Ironman event. Angela had to teach herself to walk again. She had to teach herself just how to be again, to be a parent, to be a worker, to be a friend, and also deal with the consequences that come out of such a trauma. This episode, we touch on Angela's experience through her accident, also her experience through her rehabilitation, and what it was like to compete again in her most beloved event, the Ironman. We talked to Angela also about what it was like to be a shift worker as Angela is a paramedic and a nurse. So we talk a little bit about that and we talk about her journey into the sport of triathlon from a child. And we also talk about her journey as a single parent in the early years and how she managed to fit her training in around working and looking after her young son. This podcast is super inspiring. I was so 
thankful that Angela agreed to come on the podcast and share her journey. And as she says in this podcast, through sharing her journey, it helps lift others who might be in a similar situation, just like she was lifted up by hearing other people's stories. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Angela McKenzie. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm out to the back room. If you need me, please don't yell out. I said to my kids, because they're all home, I'm going in, do not bother me for like an hour. <laughs> Just like, stay away. They'll probably, they'll probably bother me. But anyway, um, yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to have this chat. I actually uh, was trying to think of like, I'm always thinking of who I can interview for the podcast and I was just scrolling through Facebook the other day and you'd put that post up on RMA and I was just like, wow, that is a story. <laughs> so yeah, I thought what an inspiring story. So hope you don't mind me reaching out and asking for you to come on. No, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, to be honest, it, it, I thought about that long and hard before I posted that, but I sort of gave myself a bit of a kick and I thought when I was going through you know, later in my recovery phase, I was relying on other people's stories to motivate me. And I thought it's my time, my turn to now help other people. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. You know, it's through reading other people's stories that we get inspiration and where we find our drive and our passion, sometimes our purpose. And I just, yeah. And when I heard your story, even though I didn't know it much at all, it was just what you'd said, that, that brief post about your race and coming back from your accident, I was like, wow, like there's probably so much to unpack. And then I listened to that other podcast that I went onto your Facebook profile and I saw that you had posted that there. So I thought, okay, yeah. I'm going to have a little listen to it. And then it was that afternoon that I contacted you because I thought, wow, there's actually a lot of things that I want to ask, not only about your accident, but just about you training. One, you'll be the first person pretty sure that I've interviewed that does triathlon. So I find okay. that really fascinating. And then also um, how you train as someone who does shift work. Like I found that fascinating. So all those things that you got asked in that podcast, I thought, yeah, actually RMAs would really love to hear about those things. And then of course, because we, and we have a lot of girls that do triathlon, obviously. Um, and then just the story about, you know, coming back from your accident, I thought was really inspiring because so many people could just give up and find it all too hard, but you obviously aren't that type of person. No, yeah. I, th I think it was too much of a part of my life prior to the accident to give up. It was like giving up my, who I am. Yeah. So it wasn't, that, that was, I think, a, a, one of the most confronting parts is I lost my identity and what I do. Um, and then the chance of never being able to do it again. It's it's not just, you know, the training and everything. It's, you know, it's the atmosphere, it's the family, it's a, you know, you see 
running, you go to a marathon, you see the same people over and over again. It's part of the thrill of going. It's part of that uh, enjoyment. And then all of a sudden to have it all gone, it was, you know, like, how do I get this back? <laughs> you don't realise until it's gone. Oh, 100%. And, yeah, I think that's something we'll definitely get into in this podcast and a theme that um, I really want to explore with you because I guess being a you know an athlete or a runner or a triathlete or whatever may be your passion it forms part of who you are and and it forms part of all the connections that you have with people and when that's taken away from you so suddenly as well you do question you know your identity and your purpose and I guess they're all the things that you had to think about when you couldn't you know do that for such a long time Firstly, I will say welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I am really, really pleased to have you on. And the RMA podcast is all about everyday women who have an inspiring story or a story to tell. And everybody has one. Um, And obviously some people's stories uh, have a little bit more impact, I guess, than others. And other people's stories could just be like other, you know, everybody else's. But I think everybody has something to share. So thanks for coming on today and I'm really excited to get into your story. But before we start going um, right into what you do and, you know, how you've come through the other side of your accident, that's not all you have to share. So I want to talk about you as a person. You know, you want to explain to the listeners where you're from. Um, Obviously, you're a mum. How many kids you have? And yeah, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, where I'm from, well, I currently live in Agnes Water, which is Queensland, uh, about an hour and a half north of Bundaberg. Um, beautiful town. Everyone's just discovered it after COVID, it turns out. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's a tourist town on the beach, very pretty. Um, before that, I've sort of moved all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally from New Zealand, come over as a four-year-old. Yep. Uh, I have two children. I have uh, my eldest is 23. Yep. And my youngest is uh, turning 12 this year. Yep. I'm advanced care paramedic with Queensland Ambulance um, and I'm also a registered nurse. I work at um, the closest hospital. Oh, wow. So you do both? I do. Um, after, so that's a part of the story. After the accident, I was unable to go back. I tried to go back full time, but due to the head injury, um, I needed to step back. I wasn't... I get a thing called cognitive fatigue. It's not as bad now. It's it's settled right down. Um, But just I I was getting very, very tired um, with the ambulance work, especially with our overtime. So I've sort of this last year I started doing nursing so that I could start to move over if necessary Mm. just because the eight-hour shifts, I know when I'm going to go home, uh, I'm not there for, you know, 24 hours nonstop. Mm. and with no end in sight so that's kind of what I did there as a bit of a <laughs> yeah way out I guess yeah well that's good and it's good you have that skill as well to you know use and as a backup if you know you couldn't do the paramedic stuff so it's good that it didn't just end for you with that career I guess in a way you're still working in the healthcare industry helping people so what does working in that industry and what did working as a, and continuing to work as a nurse and a paramedic, what did that give to you? Like, why did you get into that profession? 
uh, that's kind of a funny story too. Uh, as far as paramedic goes, I've been doing that since 2002, so quite a long time. I was 24 um, when I gained entry. Um, back then it was a diploma, sort of like an apprenticeship over three years. You were on road, but you also did your diploma. Since then it's changed to a bachelor degree. Um, we, I was working at Armageddon Security at the time in the head office, which is in Brisbane, and we were all, um, most of the office was made redundant. I was given a place in one of the branches, and as a result, I thought, oh, bit of a kick up the bum. What am I going to do with my life? Started going through the yellow pages. Oh, back then, <laughs> when it existed. Yeah, through the yellow pages. So I... And something appealed to me. I, I looked at all of them. I, I looked at the firefighters as well. So I asked for some information on all three services, got it back, and the ambulance, I one of my dad's friends was a paramedic and I used to talk to him all the time. Um, and then so I just went through the, the process of applying. It took about six months, the, the process of all the different you know, hurdles that we had to jump to get through. And then, yeah, I was given my letter. And back then I was a single mother of a four-year-old, extremely poor. I had no money to my name. I couldn't, you know, I was, I'd count the loose change to see how much petrol I could put in my car. So when they called me up, I was on my way home from the job I had then. And I felt like I just won the lottery. Yeah, <laughs> and all of a sudden my life changed. Yeah. But then no, so did your lifestyle because I would imagine that lifestyle, although if you were, in, were you in security before like doing shift work or was this new to you? No, so I was in the office and at that stage I'd actually moved from there um, and I was just working in admin at a private hospital. Yeah. But still I was only working um, four days a week because my son was young. Well, originally three days. So I didn't really have two cents to my name, as you can imagine, sort of mm, yeah. low paid. Um, career choice there um so I just thought if I get in my whole mindset was if I get in I will succeed I will succeed there's no ifs or buts <laughs> <laughs> I'll do everything in my power I've been given an opportunity because I could never have afforded to go to university mm. you know back then I didn't have that opportunity so that that was my opportunity mm. and then uh as an RN I did that while I was working full-time in uh I remember when I started, it might have been 2014, 2015. I was just doing that part-time. And that was just as a backup, really. Yeah. Is that because one day you might have decided you didn't want to do, I guess being a paramedic, like the hours and maybe burnout like would become paramount after a while, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure if I can actually discuss um, the work conditions of where I am. Mm. Um, but yes, that was very much, uh, I, I, I was at the point where, you know, the, I'm not going to be able to maintain this. It's not mm. safe mm. for anyone. So doing that degree, even though, you know, I was working so hard was, a, you know, in the long run, I thought, you know, when I'm in my fifties, I'm not going to maintain this. Yeah. So that, that's what that was. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, you do triathlon. Have you always been a triathlete or is this something that you got into, you know, later in life? Like, do you want to take us back to your childhood or when did you start getting involved in that sport? Okay, so um, triathlon for me has definitely been a lifetime. Not that I can 
completed, you know, competed over my life. Um, my parents started in the early 80s when it was a new thing. Um, uh, everyone was running around and not very much at all. <laughs> in the 80s, that's <laughs> what they were doing. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was no fancy bikes, no fancy shoes. You know, I remember my dad's first tri um, triathlon, he was wearing a pair of stubbies and I think a, a pair of bollies, Dunlop bollies. <laughs> Um, so that was, that was in Mackay. So my parents were both water skiers in New Zealand. And then when they come here, you know, no family or, or, you know, friends. So they started, uh, with a running club in Mackay. My mum started running. She was naturally a very good runner. And then, um, my dad's motto was, well, if you can't beat him, join him. So <laughs> he said his first ever run with the group and he didn't know, you know, what was a good pace or not, but he was also a fit man from his you know, background, growing up on a farm and, you know, if you ask him, walking over the Himalayas to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, New Zealand, close. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he said his first ever run, he joined the group and he was wearing Dunlop volleys and one of those trucker singlets thinking that was the appropriate attire. <laughs> and he said he didn't let them any of them know that it nearly killed him. He said, but they were running about uh, almost four minute K pace. He thought, oh, <laughs> in his volley, his <laughs> chafing would not have been good. <laughs> no, oh, not, not good at all. Um, oh, yeah, funny. anyway, so they started back then and then obviously we became part of it because we were always around it. Yeah. Um, obviously as kids, we didn't really do much. It was more just, oh, we get to go somewhere. Like, and mm. back then it was sort of every other weekend because they weren't expensive like yeah. they are now. You know, yeah. it's a few dollar entry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, long story short, then they started bringing out some kids' races. And, you know, back then the kids' race, you always got free stuff. Yeah. Remember the first one we did at SeaWorld and we got free entry. Of course, we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> free entry to SeaWorld. And then uh, there was another one where they gave us um, free entry to the ski park. So, wow. you know, we only did the ones where we got something. Yeah. <laughs> Or mum and dad were doing it anyway, so you were there and yeah. Yeah, but we didn't train for it. We yeah. we were the kids that had our rusty old, you know, BMXs that we used to. Yeah. That's what I'd be using if I had to uh do uh a triathlon right now. <laughs> be some rusty old bike somewhere. Oh dear. Yeah. But hey, you know, it just showed that back then and even now. You don't have to have all the gear or any idea. You just have to have a go and participate. And obviously your family had that mindset. So they probably had no idea either when they first rocked up. And I guess part of it for them was about finding community and connection with other people and, and finding friends. And I can imagine Queensland, like Mackay, boiling hot like doing triathlon in Mackay <laughs> I can't think of anything more punishing but I can think you know that they would have found um I guess that community spirit there which helped them continue in that journey and also brought you kids along so you got to feel what that was like to be part of part of something special was what were the lessons that your parents you know taught you by involving you in sport at a young age I think you hit the nail on the head. It's definitely community. Yeah. Um, you know, they had a big group of friends and they used to travel around Queensland and it was the same group of friends and it was, 
the atmosphere was always so positive. Everyone was always so happy. And, you know, there's always obviously triathlon. There was always so much food involved. (laughs) (laughs) Lots lots of junk food for us. So, you know, taught me that. and then, you know, when we when we moved down south, we moved to um, Logan and then they would, uh, every sort of, one, probably once a month, a massive group of people would meet at our house and they'd all ride through Springbrook and Chamberine. And so they'd go out for a five, six hour ride, come back, and then we'd have a big spread of, you know, ice cream and cakes. And, you know, when I say good group, it would have been 10 of them. And that was you know, for a good 10 years that went on as we sort of grew up. And I think, you know, that's the other thing to see, all walks of life. It's not just, you know, profession and where you come from mean nothing. It's Mm. as a person, how you are, how you are to others. You know, everyone helps everyone else. Someone gets a flat tire, everyone pitches in. You know, it's that very community and help out sort of, yeah. Yeah. And did that upbringing help like in terms of how you bring up your own children? Like are they active in sport or, I mean, not every child I'll say wants to do it. I know because I tried my best and when they were young, I had a lot of more, I had a lot more influence than I do now. My kids are all like 15 to 20 and not really that keen. (laughs) So what was it like for you as a parent, like trying to involve your kids in sport given the opportunities that you had? It's funny you say that to have two very opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so with my eldest child, um, and probably I think um, you know, being a single mum while he was young. So yeah. if I trained, he had he had to come. That was there was no option. So um, you know, when I was running, my the the one of the best presents I ever got was a running pram for my dad. Um, so he was in that up until he really couldn't fit at five and then it was on his bike. (laughs) So for him, it was probably the same. It was, you know, every weekend there was, you know, either the running club because back then it was mostly just running because Mm -hmm. that was easier while he was young. So it was always a running club and then we'd go and have coffee. Um, he'd always get free, you know, free baby Chino and everyone spoiled him rotten because he was... You know, it's a novelty having a cute little kid around for everyone else. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yep. um, and then as he got older, you know, he'd ride on his bike while I run. Um, and probably, and I must say, I also had a, I was given a um, old Repco 12 bike when he was a baby. And I'm not exaggerating, but oldest, my dad's, it was covered in rust. So I had to stand it all back by hand. And then I sprayed it using a spray can bottle. <laughs> and then obviously got it all working and then I put a baby seat on the back and that's what my training used to be up and down this little section um, so that was obviously safe and he used to think it was fun to do peekaboo behind my shirt and move around <laughs> <laughs> hold on for dear life but anyway as a result of his upbringing he um, went on to become a triathlete mm-hmm. um, he competed in worlds in oh don't quote me, forgotten the year, but he just turned 18. So he competed in the long course and he actually won um, the 18 to 19 long course world championship wow. in Oklahoma. Whatever year Oklahoma was in. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, he did rub off and he, we never really, I never pushed him into anything as a child. The only thing he did do was swimming. 
Um, other than that, he wasn't too interested, had a couple of goes and had a bit of fun. It wasn't until he was 11 and 12, he was around other kids and he thought, I'll give that a go. Yeah. And then, yeah, it kind of took off for him. Yeah, that's amazing. And the thing that resonates with me about that is that we can, as parents, like instill the values of, you know, an active lifestyle in our kids. And obviously he was watching. So from a very young age, you involved him. So it wasn't like you just went off and did your thing and he was being babysat all the time. I mean, from necessity, I guess a lot of the time for you, you had to take him along. Um, but I think we don't realize sometimes the impact it has, like that they're actually watching us and they're learning a lot of valuable lessons and um, things about resilience and pushing themselves or, um, you know, creating boundaries or all sorts of things through sport and just seeing you actively pursue your goals as a single parent, even, you know, I'm sure that if you were to ask him today, he would say that you played a big part in his success in sport because had he not been, had those things not been modeled to him as a child, he might not have had that opportunity to want to be involved. So, yeah, I think, um, I guess you've got to congratulate yourself a little bit there too, because I think that you probably played a big part in that. Um, and in saying that it's not always sport, you know, not all my children are interested in sport, but it could be academics and no matter what they see, what we do like and the drive or determination that we have um, and model and they can transfer that over to many things in their lives. So I think that's one of the best things about being a parent is teaching our children those skills um, no matter where they are in life and what they're involved in, you know, what it looks like to have a goal and pursue it and work hard towards it. So well done, mum. Lead, lead by example, but don't, don't ever push them because I always see the kids that are pushed by their parents and they always give up as an adult every single yeah. time. Yeah. And my youngest has absolutely zero zilch interest yep. in any sport. However, he's, not, he's naturally gifted when he does have a go, but when he wants to, he'll want to. It's, yeah. it's I figured, you know, simple as that. Yeah, I totally understand. And, you know, my kids, uh, my elder two are quite good runners and I would love them to be runners. And I, every now and then drop the little seed, you know, you want to come for a run or do you, you want to join this, do this race? Or I keep saying to my son, he would be the best trail runner. He's lean and he's got, he's just got that trail runners type body like he could just like fly over the terrain i can just see it and when he's done like cross country he's really good but he's sort of like just not interested but maybe one day he might be i mean i just keep inviting him and you never know you never know and if he's not that's fine too they'll find their way how did you go um i'll, I'll quickly touch it wasn't something i was going to ask but now that you said it um how did you go being a single parent um and i guess training for your goals when you were when your child was younger and you're a single parent did you actually have goals to do big races or was it more that you just wanted to get out and exercise and it was more about your mental health and being fit and healthy I think I just enjoyed running um so honestly when I started running when um my eldest was a baby um I started off you know, literally when he was first born, just walking because he had such bad colic that he would just scream and scream and then projectile vomit. 
which was <laughs> so much fun, not really. Um, so I wasn't actually sleeping at all. And then as soon as he was able, because that lasted a long time, as soon as he was able to go, so it was a very good running program that my dad got me, you know, with big BMX wheels. As soon as he was able to go in that, I started running with him in that. And that was the only time he stopped, you know, it helped with his colic because he was upright and then he'd get it out. So that really <laughs> commenced uh, my running. Um, yeah. Because I was only 20 when I had him. So, and then from there, it just became habit, really. And we had a, a family group every Thursday night where we ran and we had pizza afterwards. So, oh. and when I say family group, so it's my dad, my sister, and I. But then we, at some stage, we had quite a lot of people with us. Mm. Um, it was just, you know, a good event. Everyone just could come Thursday night. That was, you know, it was before we had phones and stuff like that. You just turn yeah. up and that was it. Every second Sunday, we had the, um, Roadrunners group um, in Brisbane, which is only $2. And then the alternating one, I used to take him down to Burley and run through there. And then, you know, as he got older, and then we'd spend the day at the beach. Mm. So it was always that reward yeah. type thing. Yeah. 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 And I like that your dad was involved as well. And like, was were your parents, are they still running and active today? Like, are they still around? Uh, yeah, so my parents are separated. Um, so, yes, my dad's still running. He'll be doing his, I think, technically 36th Gold Coast Marathon this year. Um, oh. Not sure if last year counted. He had to do it virtually. Yes, I'd still count. COVID. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so my dad's still actually a good runner. He's 70, oh, what year are we? 71, I think. Wow. 71. Yeah, so he's actually still a good runner. So I joke that I'm going to jog the marathon with him, but. To be honest, who knows whether he's going to run a four-hour marathon or a five-hour marathon. So, <laughs> uh, Wow. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I'll be at the Gold Coast, so hopefully I get to see. Are you going to run with him? Oh, I don't know because I've got the Ironman four weeks before, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to wait to see if I'm alive after that yeah. one. Or moving. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's <laughs> so nice that your dad still runs. I love that. I love that he's had that longevity in the sport. That's beautiful. Yeah. Do you still do triathlon as well or just running? No, funny story with that. My dad was actually probably the worst, <laughs> and he's fine with me saying this, the worst swimmer in history. <laughs> um, his last Ironman that tried to pull him out of the swim, he was coming last in. His wetsuit kept opening up, so he ended up with hypothermia. Oh, no. um, and they tried to stop him because when he came out of the water, he kept falling over. So they tried to pull him in medical tent, and the three of us were yelling at them, don't pull him out, that's normal. This is how he always looks. And, you know, they, they made him sit in the tent and have a cup of tea and they were trying to pull him out. And my dad to this day says it was only for you kids that they let me go because they said, no, no, he's fine. He will take off. He'll catch up. Oh, well, I can see where you get some of his drive and strength from. <laughs> you can get that from your dad. I'm sure that's where you got it. So let's talk about your training as a paramedic. So obviously when you started working for the ambulance service, you were doing shift work. Um, I don't think you kind of can get around that working for the ambulance. How did that go with you training and shift work? And what sort of things did you learn about yourself over the years, how to actually manage that? Because there'd be a lot of women and also moms and single moms that are listening to this podcast who might gain a few tips from you about, and not that we're saying you do it amazingly either, but what things did you learn about how to actually manage training and things like triathlon, which have three disciplines, and that takes a lot of discipline. I mean, 
I mean, I know it's hard just to train for running. So to train for three disciplines as well um, while doing shift work, what did you learn about how to manage that? Uh, in the early days, you know, I only ever did it socially. Yeah. I mean, I still do now, but a bit more seriously. Yeah. Um, so I just fit the training in when I felt like it really, um, you know, each day I'd do something. So generally I always, after, you know, when I was doing normal shift work, after a night shift, I'd go to the pools to swim because that would always help me go to sleep. So I go to the pool, have a swim, go to sleep. Um, obviously it all structured around when I had to pick my son up, drop him off, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, nowadays, uh, so when I was working full-time here, it was eight days on, six days off. So for that eight days, I was attached to a vehicle. I couldn't go outside and train at all, which meant no swimming for eight days. Mm -hmm. um, so my swimming um, has always been my very, very weak link. Um, obviously, in that, you know, I was married during that time um, because I, I can't look after it. You know, even though I'd come home between calls, I need someone there because I need to duck out to the car within two minutes sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so all my other training is done indoors on a, either a treadmill or a bike trainer. Yeah. And that was very much the same when I was a single mum. I had just an old bike trainer, you know, that sounds like a 747 taking off in your living room <laughs> and I'd just get up at 4.30. And to be honest, a lot of the time I'd only spend half an hour, I'd just make it half an hour intense. I'd just mm. do, you know minute hard, minute easy, minute hard, things like that, just intense intervals. And then the running was easy because I had the pram mm. or I'd have him on the bike or, you know, if it was between night shifts and he was at school, I would do it then. So I think mm. the shift work in itself can also have benefits. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got school days. Yeah. So when I started training for my first Ironman, um, I'd do all my long rides in school day mm. so that I didn't feel guilty because otherwise you've got that guilt. Yeah. You feel like you're always doing something you shouldn't. Or, you know, I'd get up super, super early when it was dark with a head torch, do my run before mm. anyone even knew I was missing, then come home and try and stay awake. <laughs> yeah. Which you're probably good at trying to stay awake when you're a shift worker. And actually, that was the question I wanted to ask you is, I know someone else, uh, one of my close girlfriends is a shift worker as well. And I find that she does really well at long events because... She's just naturally used to being awake for a very long time. Do you find that actually helps you with doing an Ironman, <laughs> that you're awake um, for quite a long time? 100%. So anyone that's ever worked at the station I work at, which is Agnes Water, will understand that you can stay awake for a very, very long period, sometimes days on end. Mm. Um, so when I'm in an Ironman, even my last Ironman, I thought, you know, getting a bit tired, I thought, this is nothing like <laughs> I could literally keep running in my sleep. I've done way worse. Like even though I'm exerting myself physically, as far as the mental part goes, it's, you know, it's nothing. At least I've slept the night before and I know I'm going to sleep at the end. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So how many Ironman have you done now? I've only done two. This yep. one uh, coming up in, I'm not sure if it's nine or 10 days will be my third. Oh, 10 days. That's not long. No, so he's hoping it all still goes ahead with everything going on. Where is where's this one at? So this one's in Cairns. Right, this is the Cairns one. Yeah. And yes. how are you feeling? Are you feeling ready? Excited? Um, I'm not, no. <laughs> honestly, I'm not sure anyone ever feels ready. Um, <laughs> yeah. At the moment, at the moment, I just feel a bit tired because I've been working a bit much. Mm. <laughs> so I'm hoping that dissipates. Mm. Uh, excited, I am very excited because um, it's my sister's first. 
Oh, so exciting. I somehow dragged her into it and she she was, you know, that whole, oh, 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 I said, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that one. Let's go. <laughs> and then next minute she'd hit the enter button and <laughs> Oh, committed. wow. Had she, well, I mean, obviously she probably came from doing some when she was younger as well, um, given your upbringing, but is this like something really new to her as an adult? Had she been doing training at all? Um, no, so she, yes, it, very new for her to do an Ironman. So she probably started triathlon again a few years back. Mm -hmm. um, we both sort of started back at the same time. You know, we both had a long time off. Um, she had continued running though. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, this is very much the biggest step up. So she did um, the Ironman 70.3, so that's the half Ironman in Sunshine Coast last year. And I think she did it the year before, and then yeah, this is the big step up. Wow! Oh, that's so exciting! And you've been training together? Uh, when we can, um, it's a bit difficult with work schedules, so we try and when we can get our long runs in together. Mm. Um, and that's always nice because we'll try and hit out the bush or. And yeah. if we're at different paces, one we'll just kind of duck back for each other. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, well, all the best for it. I look forward to hearing about it. I'm excited for you. So let's, let's go back now to one of the reasons I wanted you to come on today was to talk about your story. Um, for those that aren't aware of, of your story, um, you had an accident where you were hit on your bike by a vehicle while training um, and that left you quite injured. Um, and obviously that wasn't the end of your story. So which otherwise we wouldn't be here today having this conversation. So that wasn't the end of your story. And, um, you know, there's so many different things that obviously came out of that journey for you that you've learned about yourself and about the people around you and about what is important to you um, as a person. Um, can you tell us a little bit, can you take us a little bit back to that day um, when that happened? Where were you? When was it? And yeah, just a little bit about that story. Okay, um, so i uh, probably start just before, yeah. I guess, that. Um, so I, 2000 and I think, I yeah, I'd I not long done my first Ironman in May, um, which is Paul Macquarie, which I just trained for myself using the, you know, generic internet <laughs> free yep. plans, yep. Um, which was quite brutal using an internet plan, I must admit, mm -hmm. <laughs> now that I've got a coach I realized it's actually easier with coach mm. uh and then after I did that I said okay I've proved that I can you know do this off my own bat um because as I said at that time I was still married mm. I said I really want a coach I'm going to get a coach um so I just got in a coach uh and I was super excited because I'd had her for uh, probably two and a half months and I'd already seen massive improvements in that short period of time in everything. Um, so I was super excited. I was out for a long, I was about to start my long run, uh, sorry, long ride that day. So I don't know, you know how some days just, I dressed up in all my good gear, you know, including my brand new Ironman pants. I just got an Ironman. So <laughs> I was thinking I'd be all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, I was only about five kilometres from home. I was just so, they're all country roads around here back then, very, very quiet. Mm. Um, it was actually the first car I'd seen on the road. 
uh, that morning, the only car I'd seen on the road. So I was going down a quite, so I'd just come back from Dead End Street. I was on my way back, um, singing to myself as you do um, on a long ride. And a car was coming out of another dead end street. I'd seen him coming for ages because it was an unobstructed view. So, mm. and I'm just going to say it because it's true. If he had been looking or paid attention, he also would have seen me with all my bright colors, my flashing lights, rear and back. Um, he slowed down for the intersection and he actually come to a stop. So I stopped. So I'd already, I'd already got off my aerobars for sitting up ready because, mm. you know, the job I'm in um and he pulled up to a stop so I thought great he's seen me I thought he was just stopping for me because I had right away um I was on the main road um so I continued on and right when I was in front of him um his big four-wheel drive with the big bull bar just he must have just put his foot down because that's all I heard and that's I just remember the it looked like the bull bar was coming from my face and I don't actually remember the rest until I was on the road, um, I don't remember. I just remember thinking that I'm I'm done. That's that that was the only thought. I thought this is there's nothing I can do about this. So I'm I'm that's it. Um, mm. So then um, I do remember an awful sound, which turned out to be me uh, making that sound. Um, apparently, people from uh, one of the homes a few hundred meters away heard from their home and they came out and I, I believe they may have been the ones to call the ambulance. Um, again, I'm not sure. Um, and um, unfortunately it was sort of, I remember it was my friends that turned up because it's a small station. There's only five of us that work there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my friends were the ones that had to um, See you. look after me. Mm. Um, and then yeah, I just sort of, I remember being put in the helicopter because they landed the helicopter in a field near me um, and then they flew me to hospital. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that I don't I don't remember, a lot of it. I just remember the in-betweens. So I remember Teresa's face over my face and um, I'll admit I've, I've got a lot of guilt over that as well because I know that impacted them a lot because they knew who they were going to when they got the call, obviously not many triathletes in the area, not many um, people would be riding at that time of day other than me. Um, so, yeah, that's um, really that. And then I spent uh, um, about a week and a half um, in hospital. And then, um, fortunately for me, I also got to live home in an aeroplane. <laughs> wow. So... I mean, obviously you can hear in your voice that it is hard to relive those moments. Like it is a traumatic experience. And although there's a lot of things you don't remember, there's a lot of things that you do that are, I guess, fragments of what you remember and what people have told you and experiences coming from, you know, your colleagues that had to work on you. Um, but I can imagine, like you said, the thought that was going through your head was that this is it. Like, how does, you might not even be able to articulate how that feels, but how did that feel? Like, did you think about, did you even have time to think about anything other than that this is it? No, I, I didn't, because that must have been a split second thought before he hit me, because after I was hit, I was, because um, the pictures that I saw, I was on the opposite side of the road. 
Mm. So after he hit me, I was thrown to the opposite side of the road. So all my injuries were down the opposite. Well, not all of them, obviously. I had the, you know, from where I was hit, but a lot of them was from hitting the road um, Mm. on the other side. So no, I didn't have time Mm. to think anything really other than that. That was obviously the moment before it hit me, but I don't actually remember the physical feeling of being hit. Mm. It was only when I sort of come to on the road. Mm. And what what ended up being your injuries in the end? Like when you obviously you said you went to hospital and you spent some time there. Like what what were the injuries that you sustained during the accident? Um, so I had a fractured pelvis. So my right acetabulus, where the the ball of your femur sits in, that was fractured. Um, I dislocated my shoulder. Um, and then that just had some tears and whatnot in it from being dislocated. Um, and I ended up with um, post-concussion syndrome, which I don't think there's a lot known about that, but I can tell you it's not very much fun. Yeah. Um, so my helmet was broken in three places. And I think when I was at hospital, um, some things got lost in translation every time they did handover. So I remember once they came in, they go, oh, this is, you know, whoever um, had a fall from a push bike. It sounded like I was just trundling mm-hmm. along and just dropped yeah, off my was. push bike. And then they yeah. left out there and went, no, I've got a fractured pelvis. So, yeah, I was hit by a car. Oh, oh, it doesn't say that here. I'm like, well, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. So, yeah. yeah. And then obviously all the usual stuff, you know, skin mm. off and things like that. But I think um, some of them, the most challenging Obviously, you got a fractured pelvis, but then you need crutches to get around. My shoulder was so painful, but I couldn't. Post-concussion syndrome, I couldn't even, you know, people joke that I didn't just lay around watching TV. I couldn't. Mm. Uh, I was so sick. I was vomiting all the time. Just from any little movement made me sick. I couldn't handle any loud noise. I couldn't handle the TV being on, which wasn't very good for my family, obviously. Mm. I didn't like if there was too many people talking at once. That made me feel sick. I think it's hard for people around you to understand that. Yeah. Like I couldn't handle going out into a public place. It was all. Mm. So I think a lot of, a lot of things came in the aftermath of it. And then when I was able to move around, when I was able to go to the shop, I remember the first time I ventured to the shop, I thought I was okay. And then I got in the shop and someone started talking to me. And then I just felt this wave of nausea. I felt the hot flush. I thought I was going to pass out and had nowhere to sit. And he just kept talking to me. Not his fault. He didn't know any different. And I, I just said I had to go. And then it became, mm. you know, a difficult process every time. And then yeah. small town, everyone knows you. Everyone wants to know what's going on. And you don't realise you've got so much more going on in your mind. You don't realise what's how are you dealing with it until people want to know all the time? Mm, yeah. And you, I guess you just want to get in and you just want to get the milk. Yeah. And people see, I guess when anyone has some type of trauma, people see the physical aspect of it. They see, you know, something's broken or that kind of stuff, but they don't actually see the mental side of it and that trauma and coming back from something so traumatic. Um, I guess there was a lot of things that, kept playing through your mind and I I guess probably a lot of what ifs that played through your mind as well. And as you said, you have struggled with dealing with guilt around your colleagues having to see you, which by the way, is not your fault. <laughs> like, you know, you were out doing what you love and the nature of 
your job and their job was that they would be called to those things. Um, it just happened that on that day it was you. It's got it's nothing that you did to make that happen. So, you know, I guess though, when you're so close to your colleagues and people that you love, you would probably feel those feelings that, you know, that guilt. And I guess too, around your family and your partner and your child seeing you like that as well. Like how, what kind of impact did that have on them? Um, it had a huge impact on my, uh, I guess on everyone, especially my youngest son. And he, you know, he's a bit of a closed book. He didn't really let too much out, but you know, it was later on when I started recovering, I really realized so. They came and so they had time to get to the landing site before they took me away in the helicopter because they were just down the road. Um, I don't, I don't remember them being there, but apparently I talked to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it really impacted my son. He was very worried, and I remember when I first wanted to was going to try and go for a ride. And this is, you know, a long time, long, long time after. It's like, why do you have to do that, Mum? Like, mm-hmm. don't, don't do that. Oh, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. it does impact. And then he he actually was really angry. He was really angry and it didn't come out till a lot later. He was really angry with the driver of the car and you know, some of the things he said uh, were a bit disturbing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, you know, I guess that anger and everyone deals with things in a different way and, you know, you see things and, yeah. Because, I mean, it wasn't just the, the accident. It was everything that followed, you know. All of a sudden, mum's mum can't do this. We can't have the TV. We can't watch the movies. Oh, we've got to do this. Mum used to do that, you know. Was, I mean, they never said it. They never said it out loud or whinged, but, you know, it's all those things. Yeah. Yeah. The life that you, life how you knew it had changed at that moment in that instant, yes. I guess. And and for the unforeseeable future at the time, it had changed. Um, what was the recovery like for you, the rehabilitation process? Like how long How long were we talking that you weren't able to do certain things? Like what was that like for you? Um, so the first few months, um, I didn't wait there on my leg. Um, as soon as I was able to, so <laughs> after the accident, um, my insurance was actually brilliant. Um, I had, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to give them a plug, but I'll give them one because they were amazing. So I was under RA Secure Insurance and they paid out really no questions asked. So they bought me a new bike um, at New Value. So I got a fancy new bike, which sat there that I couldn't use, but yeah. I bought it anyway. I bought it anyway. And yeah. by the time I was able to use it, both tyres were flat. I had to. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even know that I had um what do they call the the non-punctured tires with the gill in them oh. um because I was a bit unwell when I bought the bike I just went I want that one it's <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get that all changed when I was finally able to ride it but my mum gave me her old bike so I bought this giant big I've got a picture on Facebook yeah it's nano saddles with the gel in them that's about five times as big as your normal saddle. I bought one of those. I put the seat right down and I had a little step thing beside the bike so I could get up without having to swing my legs around so that I could just kind of carefully step over onto it because I couldn't actually put too much weight on my, you know, on a normal seat. It hurt. So with big fat seat and then I just started um, 
with no resistance just so that I could turn my legs. So I used to do that. I was trying to do that once. I'm not sure the timeline where I started. I was trying to do that for five, ten minutes a day and just fill it up slowly over the weeks. Mm. I just went back into Australia to have a look and um, turns out there was no watts. That ain't count if you got none. But, yeah, so that, I started doing that and then um, I probably started as soon as I could get a wetsuit on. So I just had an old surf wetsuit. I was my friend, the same one that came to the accident, I was staying at a resort, so I was going to use the pool at the resort. Um, so I just had help getting in the pool with my wetsuit and I was just doing some deep water walking with no nothing on the feet. So everyone stared at me. I'd go in there with a wetsuit, with my crutches down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was basically the start. And then mm. when I was able, I think it was 12 weeks before I was allowed to start trying to swim with my shoulder, and my first swim, I didn't make it. I think I made it about 20 metres or 25 metres before um, thinking that was a really bad idea. But I could persist it and I, each, each day I'd go back and see if I could make it a bit further because at first, you, know, you don't realise with all the things, I just couldn't make my arm go round. Mm. Mm. Um, but I think with anything, if you're forceful enough, eventually it worked. And <laughs> Yeah. And what did it mean for you to be able to go and even if it was know what's on the bike or 20 meters in the pool like what did it mean for you to be able to get out and actually be active and participate in as little of the sport as you could possibly do um just to you know what did it mean for you mentally more than anything i think mentally it was the most important thing i could do like mentally it was you know if i couldn't have done anything you may as well just give up and die i think that was the biggest thing for me is i need to have goals I need to keep moving forward because it's very easy just to feel sorry for myself and give up and seriously I could have done that like a lot of people do but today I'd probably still have problems you know mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong I'm not paying free I'm sitting here now it feels like someone's punched me in the backside <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's those little things even just getting in the water and then you know, once I was able to, you know, from the pool, once I was able to get down the, the beach at 1770s, calm water, so I'd just get someone to take my crutches back for me, but initially the sand was too hard for yeah. me to get down. Um, you know, I could feel like a normal person at the beach, you know, mm -hmm. even if it was, you know, five minutes. And just to get your heart rate up for that five minutes was amazing. And then, you know, in your brain you're like, okay, this is what I told myself, I remember such and such, you know, she was an elite runner and every time she was pregnant, she used to do deep water running and then she could still turn up two weeks after birth and, you know, win the race. So surely this is good for something. <laughs> yeah. Deep water, there's a lot of like great things that come out of deep water running. I've run ultras on deep water running before because, you know, one, it's good for your mindset. It keeps you going, um, keeps mm -hmm. the goal there and it's good fitness. <laughs> so without the impact. So 100%, it's, there's something to be said about deep water running. But it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard, especially hard in May when you're in a backyard pool doing it in icicle water. It is really hard, but it's good mental training, I'll tell you that. Um, what about in terms of like your, you know, I guess you're probably having physio and things like that. Did you, when you were doing those things, um, was your goal just to get out and be active every day or did you actually have a long-term goal that you were working towards in the back of your mind? 
yeah, so before, you know, as I said, um, before, you know, just before I got hit, I um, employed a, like hired a coach. I'm not sure what, what the term is there, what I'm supposed to say. I got a coach. Um, for I was um, I put an entry for Ironman Cairns, which was 2000, um, June 2019 was the race. Um, my accident was August 2018. So I didn't cancel my entry for the race. I never did. I thought I'd just hold out and see how it goes. Um, so that was always in the back of my mind. So I didn't actually start with a physio until I think about three months post because initially I just had to rest, you know, everything. I couldn't really do the actual physio. Like I could get in the water and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and then once I sort of saw the physio, initially it was only five minutes at a time and it was brutal. Like it was so painful. Mm. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and it, I remember once I had tears streaming down my face as I was trying to do something that, you know, because it, it's amazing the connections and some of your muscles that just decide they don't want to work anymore when you haven't used them for so long, especially mm. since I hadn't been putting any weight on my leg. Yeah. Um, so there were certain muscles that had just gone, nope. Mm. And then they would, you know, spasm. And I remember I had tears in my eyes one day and I had all these little motivational quotes on the wall. One of them said, I can, I will, you know, random people who got me some things. And the other one was in my head and I remember yelling out, there's no soupy lalas in Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, if I can't do five minutes, I'm never going to make it. Suck it up and keep it up. And next week when you see the uh, physio, you're going to tell them that was fine and you'd like some more. <laughs> <laughs> you'd like some more. More please, more pain. <laughs> yeah, so no, that was the, the ticket. And I think um, so about six months before the race um i don't think i started can't remember i don't think i started running yet um and i asked him oh we might have just started doing 10 second jog you know one minute walk at that stage and i asked him i, I told him i said i've got the iron man i said do you think i can do it and i've got to admit i think i was so lucky to have the physio i had i had a young enthusiastic physio and he looked at my face before answering and the best thing he did is he had absolutely no negativity. So I think it all comes down to mindset. So he looked at me, he took his time and he said, you know what, we'll know in three months. He didn't say no. So that was, I think, one of the biggest things for me is he never said no. Because I think if he had said no at that moment, I may have just gone home and bawled my eyes out. And maybe just gone, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's a gift that he gave to you. I mean... He gave you permission to try and to keep that goal at the forefront of your mind. And it was probably the one thing that you needed to keep going at the time, because no matter how small the steps were for you taking, getting, you know, each rehab session done or every time you were five minutes in the pool or whatever, it was something to look forward to. And that Ironman was something that you were working towards, whether you were going to get there or not, it was something you were able to work towards. And I think he probably knew that. He was probably using that as a tool for you to, as part of your rehabilitation. And I think, you know, having a strong mindset is something that can pull us through those hard moments. What did you think? Um, I know I've heard you talk about the struggle that you had 
with that mindset of um, being in your own head, um, you know, you, you mentioned before feeling like you might have lost your identity a little bit. Did having that goal of Iron Man in the forefront of your mind help with that? Uh, help with that mindset um, and being able to, I guess, harness and find a little bit more of that identity again in who you are? Um, it definitely did. Um, in saying that it has, you know, it had two definite sides. Like I was so focused on making it to that race that I guess I never dealt with some of the other emotional parts of the accident so I was so focused on and I, I think I needed that I, um to be honest I don't think I was ready to deal with the emotional side I was just focused you know everything on making it back I'm like okay if I can make it through this then everything will be fine mm. um which isn't the case by the way mm-hmm. um so I put all my energy obviously initially was to get back to work I had five just over five months off work just because I physically um wasn't able to come back due to the nature of my job um and then after the Ironman I was on such a high and it wasn't straight after the Ironman because then um it's probably you know months so and then I think I the emotional stuff really started to come like I mean it was always there Hmm. but I think you know I finally got there I finished it in one piece Hmm. um but it was then I think things really started to surface because it's very much a, a, a grief process that you need to go through. Mm. And I don't think you're really given that opportunity because people look at you and go, well, look at you, you're fine, like, you're better, you know, you're fitter than everyone else. Like what, what is, what's your problem? Mm. It, it's nothing to do with that. It's everything that come about as a result. And, you know, there's so many phases and I think, you know, I don't think I'd hit the anger phase at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and I really needed to hit the anger phase before I could move on. Mm. And then I'm not angry anymore, mostly not. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, how did, well, how did you actually, or how do you get through the, those feelings and those emotions? What do you do to, you know, do you see someone? Do you have someone to talk to? Is there things that you practice um, that help you through that? Uh, yeah, look, I was sent to see someone. So I did talk to a couple of people. Um, and, you know, you think, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to them. Why do they? And you think you're fine. But then as soon as you start talking, you just, you don't realise it's there. And then it all just kind of, you just fall apart into a million pieces and you don't realise it's there. And it's just been sitting. So I think seeing someone who's outside of people you know can make a big difference because you, you can't you can't freely talk to people you know because a lot of people try and make you better mm. and they'll try and say things and it's lovely but sometimes you don't need that you, you actually need to get it out and you need to feel those things you need to be able to feel the grief the loss that anger the frustration whatever it is and then you know have some ways of moving on and coping with it yeah um so yeah. I do think, like, don't get me wrong, like, it wasn't really for me to keep seeing someone, but just the, the few, you know, handful of times I did, I think did help a lot. Mm. Well, I guess it's it's a situation that's you need to work through the stuff that's happened. And, you know, although thankfully you're okay and you've got your some of your life back, I'm sure there's still things that you're constantly dealing with, as you said, like, you know, just having the head injury and it's changed how you have to work and all of those things. 
you would be going through all those motions of grief and anger and all of that stuff. Like, you know, so having someone to talk to that isn't somebody that's close to you is so important. Um, what would be the biggest thing you would say to somebody who is dealing with a similar type situation, whether it be an accident or a major injury? Um, what would be one of the biggest tips you could give to them, I guess, in moving forward? Um, I'd say don't try and rush things. You know, it, it takes time is a big one. Um, you know, it's going to sound cliche because you can't always be positive and you need to be able to feel those negative emotions and, and acknowledge them, but then you also need to move away from them. Um, you know, I, I used a lot of um, other people's stories, um, which is why I felt like maybe I should share my story. Um, so, you know, on Running Mums and other stories, just similar stories to mine. Um, Someone gave me Taria Pitt's um, book, which um, I didn't actually read till probably um, 18 months after, <laughs> just because I couldn't actually focus on a book. But I found that amazing. And listening to someone speak very frankly um, about her experience, it wasn't all positive, it wasn't all roses. You know, she said that sometimes she had to be selfish. You know, reading that other people you know, aren't superhuman. And then listening to other stories and I followed another lady on Instagram who had, you know, some pretty big injuries and then listening to the way she's dealing with it. Um, so I think sort of reaching out and listening to other people's stories can make a big difference to your story. Um, surrounding yourself with the right people will make a big difference. So you got to be very careful who's around you. Um, and you know, some, sometimes you just got to let people go because if, if they're the wrong people in your life, they, it's, not, it's not very good for you. So I think um, you do a lot of self-reflection and but in the early days, you don't really reflect on anything. Mm, yeah. <laughs> on the that's early days, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. So sorry, that was probably not the answer you were after. I know, definitely is the answer I was after. And and I, I think, think having little goals, yeah. little manageable goals and, and just keep changing those week by week. They need to be small, they need to be manageable, they need to be steps. I decided I was going to do some arts and crafts to uh, help with my mental ability and um, just day to day. So I decided to make these tire chairs with, uh, look really easy on YouTube, uh, with rope and hot glue. So what I did manage to do is give myself some really good burns but that was just one of the little things I decided I was going to try and do while I was off, just for something to, uh, a bit of a sense of achievement, I guess, if I got it done. Yeah, I like that. Little steps, little goals, and something to make you feel like you're achieving something. And yeah. because that's, that's part of who you were too, is that you are the type of person that likes to have the goals and achieve something. So no matter what it was, it was something for you to focus on. So I think they're great things to... Um, think about and I really like the I really like how you said to have you know think about the people in your circle and surround yourself with the right people because especially when something like that has happened to you and it's not always people's fault they can say the wrong thing or they can do the wrong thing but maybe some people just don't know how to respond to someone when that's happened but often too when someone has a big trauma it's 
relationships change and you realize who the people that are most important to you are in your circle. And obviously your family is still so important to you. You know, you've, you've got a strong family. Um, you know, you've got your sister, you know, alongside you competing and Ironman and your dad's still involved. And I think that's really special and important that you have that in your life. Um, what things did they see in you? Like, I'm not sure if they would have articulated it to you when they saw you competing at that Ironman after your accident. Like what, what did they say to you after that when you actually finished? And I know your goal was just to finish and survive and make it to the end. Like how did, how did they react to that when you actually achieved that goal? Oh, I honestly, um, it's a bit hazy. I don't. <laughs> Surely they were excited. I'm sure they were, but I'm trying. You know, at the moment, I'm mixing two in together in yeah. my head between my first one and my second one, and I'm trying to remember at the end of that one. I do remember everyone being on the finish shoot, mm. and that was like full on. I've actually got um, a hazy video clip. My niece. So I did have my niece, my nephew, my sister, um, my brother-in-law, and obviously my son, um, now my ex-husband, and they were all on the finish shoot. So that was amazing. But then I spent some time in the tent and didn't see them after that. Because, <laughs> you know, you're in that tent for a couple of hours um, <laughs> trying to eat and drink and keep your food down. <laughs> I can imagine most, a lot of people that haven't even been through what you've been through would end up in the tent. <laughs> so, you know. I, I, do, I, I do remember like after, and it would have been nice if they're allowed in the tent, but they're not. Um, it's only the athletes at the end. Um, I do remember like getting the finish line. I just wanted to hug them all. I did, I did come in through the finish shoot. That was amazing. But yeah, they were already in bed by the time I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. made my way back to the motel but I do I did break down crying and I I'm sure they just thought I oh, just another person but it was more the, the everything that had gone into it it was just so much to make it to that moment that it was just like oh that's it I'm mm. here I'm done mm. yeah and and an Ironman is an incredible achievement I mean it's something that most people would if they go to do an Ironman, they might only do one. Like, you know, so to be able to say you're about to do your third one um, is incredible considering what you've been through as well. Um, and I'm really, yeah, I'm excited to see how you go on this one. I hope you let me know and I'll be following the journey. Please post in RMA so that I can follow the story. And I'm sure lots of ladies who are listening to this podcast would love to hear how it went for you in a few days time. Um, but before we finish, I actually want to end with the RMA hot lap because I always do that on the podcast and I ask a few quick questions about what we've talked about, um, but they're rapid fire questions. So you don't have to give a really long response, but they're just about you. The first one I had for you was, what was your favorite discipline in triathlon? Is it the bike, the swim or the run and why? Uh, it's changed. Uh, it used to be the ride um, because I was fast. Um, yeah, now it's tossed up between the ride and the run uh, because I'm really slow swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the swim sounds terrifying to me. I'd, I'd love to have a little go at a try, like just like a little one, you know, sprint try or something. But I'm just so terrified of being kicked in the head by someone's foot <laughs> in the water. Oh, 
no, you can. It makes you go faster. <laughs> great. Sounds great. Um, what is your best memory? And it might not all be positive, but I'm sure there was one positive memory that came out of your rehab. What was your best memory doing rehab? Oh, my best memory. Hmm. Oh, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, to be honest, most rehabs also blurry to me because um, yeah. I was very, very forgetful in the first six months. Very forgetful. I just didn't realise how much. So, mm. um, so I probably don't have an answer for that. I'm sorry. That's okay. What about your best memory from? Doing- oh, it was probably the first time I got to do a run. To be honest, the first time I got to do that ten second jog would have been my best memory because I'm like, oh, my God, look at me go. Actually, I just went back in Strava to look at that. Um, it was actually over 10 minutes a kilometre. <laughs> hey. And I only, did four, I only did four minutes. It wasn't five. <laughs> <laughs> you were moving. That's all that counted. It really was. You're on two feet and you were moving without crutches. So that was a win. What about a hot triathlon tip? Hot triathlon tip, have fun. Have fun and make friends. Do not take yourself seriously. Mm, and like if that. you're worried about the lycra, do an off-road triathlon. They are so much fun. Oh, they don't wear lycra? <laughs> oh, you can wear lycra, but it's just a different crowd. It's, it's much more like it was in the 80s. Very, I mean, most of them are friendly, but some of the big events you find that, you know, people get a bit too serious, whereas the off-road ones, everyone's very friendly, a lot of fun, and you usually get to camp there as well. So always fun yeah. and very good uh, family events. It's probably more like, it's kind of like trail running. So, you know. Yes, yeah, it so is friendly. very much like trail running. And they always have kids' events. Kids love it because they usually have the run going through mud and things like that. So, Yeah, maybe I need to do an off-road one. Now you've inspired me. I'm going to look into that. Um, what is a bucket list goal for you? Bucket list. Oh, at the moment, oh, I haven't even thought of that. I don't Oh, actually, yes, I do. Um, I always wanted to qualify for Kona. Um, however, unfortunately, I'm just not fast enough, not even close. Um, but I told my coach I'd like to, and he very kindly replied, um, do you know what's entailed in that? That's when I first started using him. Um, lovely man. Uh, <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. And then he's probably, I'm sure, behind the phone shaking his head. But uh, anyway, careful what you wish for, because he has been training me very hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure by his standard it's hard, um, but by my standard. <laughs> so what's this space then? So, yeah, maybe one day. Other than that, um, I plan on qualifying for the Worlds in Townsville for the long course. In 2022, it's going to be this year. Okay, great. So I should, quali- I should qualify for that one. Good. Look forward to that. Okay, the last question is, what do you want your kids to learn from you? throughout your experience? Um, That you really can do anything you put your mind to. It is generally yourself that limits what you can and can't do. So if you want to pursue something, you just need to break it down in steps. And from there, you will reach your goal. As long as you don't see it as this overwhelming thing, just break it down to little bits and pieces and you can achieve whatever. If someone else can do it, you can do it. Hmm, I love that. Well, thanks for joining us, Angela. I've loved hearing more about your story and I look forward to seeing 
the rest of your journey unfold. Um, where can people follow along? Do you have like an Instagram or anything people can follow your story on? Uh, I do. I haven't been posting very much. I'll try to do a bit more. Um, so on Instagram, I'm Angela uh, McKenzie and I've got two of those uh, bottom space things, yep. you know, yep. the bottom line in between Angela and McKenzie because the name was taken up. Mm -hmm. um, and on Facebook also as Angela McKenzie. So, but in races, you'll still see my name come up as Ferno because I haven't changed my name yet. So all my races will have Angela Ferno until I get that changed. Okay. Just because they're under the TA, if I want to qualify, it has to be my real name. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And I'll put all that in the show notes as well. Um, and I might put a link to the other podcasts in there as well that you were on. Um, so people can have a listen if they're in, in a paramedic or a healthcare worker or, you know, they want to learn a bit more about shift work and things like that and training because there was some great advice in that podcast as well. But thanks for joining us today. Well, what an amazing story that was. And I thank you, Angela, for sharing that with us. I'd like to report that Angela was able to compete and complete her latest Ironman distance at the Cairns Ironman up in Northern Queensland last weekend. So that's really exciting and I look forward to sharing more adventures to come with Angela into the future. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the RMA podcast. I really appreciate all of your support for Running Mums Australia and what it does for women around our country. For those of you that would like to jump on our website, you can purchase merchandise, you can join our member program and you can help spread the RMA love wherever you go. I look forward to sharing more stories with you next time.